everybody. Good to see you guys here. Hey, if you're a guest with us this morning, uh, I just want to say an extra special welcome to you. We're so glad that you're with us. My name's Sean. I get to be one of the pastors here at Lakeside Church. And I did watch the opening ceremonies, and I'm thinking for the next Super Bowl, big screen TV on the floor. I mean, that thing was huge. But I, I, I love the Olympics. I, I love all the events, even the weird events like curling, you know, and that sort of stuff. I don't even know how it works, but it's cool to watch when it's the Olympics. And I remember where I was uh, during some of the great Olympic moments, at least in my opinion. Um, I remember right where I was, for example, when Derek Redman limped to the finish line with his father in 1992. They were in Barcelona, Spain, and all of Olympic Stadium stood on their feet, and they just cheered. That was a great moment. I remember watching Dan Jansen finally win gold in 1994. He fell over and over and over again. This is his last opportunity, and he comes through um, and wins gold. It was an amazing moment. Well, who can forget Michael Phelps, right? You know, more gold medals than anybody else. I wasn't old enough to appreciate Mark Spitz. I think I watched some of it in 1972, uh, but that was amazing to see as well. I wish I was around to see Eric Little. Eric Little in 1924 broke the world record in the 400 meters. It wasn't even his main event. That would have been really cool to see. Or to see in 1936, Jesse Owens win four gold medals in Nazi Germany. A statement as much about human dignity than anything else. I mean, what, what a cool thing that would have been. But probably, probably the greatest moment, moment in American Olympic history came in 1980. Some of you guys are old enough to remember the U.S. hockey team beat the powerhouse Russians 4-3, to three, and it was an amazing game. I remember watching it with my dad, and we were jumping up and down. We were cheering. You have a bunch of college students and a college coach that takes on this team that hadn't lost in the Olympics since before 1960. And it was great. It was great at that moment to see the celebration. Some of you will remember that. Some of you are are too young or you weren't paying attention at the time to see the massive celebration. So I, I captured just a little bit off YouTube for you guys. Check this out. still lose 11 seconds you've got 10 seconds the countdown going on right now morrow up to soap five seconds left in the game do you believe in miracles yes unbelievable celebration just went on and on and on. Sometimes the things that seem impossible are possible. Sometimes the things that we think can never happen actually do happen, and we're left with only one thing to do, and that's just celebrate. One of the things I I pray often for us at Lakeside Church I pray it for my family, I pray it for myself, is that we would experience the power of God in our lives 
where we need it the most. And that when we do, we would be left with one thing to do, to celebrate, to give glory to God at what he's done in our lives. Do you know what, that li- what that's like? Do you know what it's like to long for something and to see it come true, to hope for something, to have an expectation that is fulfilled, a dream that comes true? There's this group that the Bible talks a lot about, the ancient Israelites, and they, they knew what that was like. They knew what it was like to long for something, to hope for something, to pray for something, to wish that something would come true. And they knew what it was like to celebrate when it did. If you know the story, the, the, the Israelites were a powerful nation, but they found themselves in exile and captivity For about 700 years, but they were hoping and praying to return to their land, to return to Jerusalem. In fact, they wrote songs about it. They wrote poems about it. They hoped, and the prophets prophesied about it ahead of time. In Isaiah chapter 52, he writes, How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news. They're longing for this good news who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation. Or in other words, we have been saved from this captivity and exile. Who say to Zion, which was another way to refer to Israel, your God reigns. Israel had been ransacked by the Babylonians. And then the Persians had taken over, and these people were hoping to go back to the land. They didn't have a temple anymore. And so God starts to move, and he sends Ezra the priest back to rebuild the temple. The temple was critical because in the ancient world, if you did not have a temple, then all the other surrounding nations looked at you and said, your God has forsaken you. Maybe you feel that way this morning. You feel a little bit forsaken. And we know how the story goes. We know that God was with them, even in exile, that he blessed them. And some of them even were high-ranking officials that God told them to build their houses and to plant their crops and to pray for the city where they were in exile. But to have a temple was this outward sign of God's abundant blessing on them. And the other nations would take notice. Something is happening in Israel. Their God is on the move. And they also didn't have a wall. Their wall had been completely destroyed. The gates were torn down. And to not have a wall was a complete disgrace. No ancient city worth its weight was without a wall. Unless you had a military the size of Rome. You needed a wall around your city. And so the the way that the story goes is God sends Nehemiah to rebuild this wall. And things begin to happen. And so if you have your Bible this morning, I want you to open it to Nehemiah chapter 6. And we're going to get there eventually, but not for a little while, because I kind of want to walk you through the first five chapters and then get there, and it'll make a little more sense. And so Nehemiah is a high-ranking official, and he has um, learned that something has gone wrong in Jerusalem. He knows that the temple has been rebuilt. He knows that people are starting to go back into the land. In fact, one of his relatives is, had visited Jerusalem. And he came back to Persia. 
And Nehemiah gets this report from him. And not all of it is good. At the very beginning of the book of Nehemiah, it says that those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And so Nehemiah hears this report. He hears this report of what's going on. And he realizes that the people were in great trouble and distress. These are his people. He knows this people. And his response is to just weep. He just cries for them. And then he mourns and he fasts and he prays. I believe that Nehemiah is an amazing model for all Jesus followers today that encounter brokenness. I remember the first time I really encountered kind of big time brokenness face to face. I was 20 years old and uh, I had been a Christian for about six months and I was invited to go on this basketball team to the Philippines for the summer. And we traveled all around the Metro Manila area, the northern island of Luzon, and we played sometimes on these little dirt courts, and sometimes we played in big stadiums. And, you know, I I saw the poverty, but it didn't really hit me right away. I was having too much fun. I was sharing with people about Jesus, and quite frankly, it was an adventure for me. But I remember coming home and walking out of the doors, those sliding glass doors in the San Francisco airport out to where people were being picked up. And I sat down on a bench and I just started to watch the people. And I watched how much stuff we had. And I saw the cars coming by to pick people up, some of them very nice, large SUVs. And I remember these two limousines just happened to pull up, and right when they did, I completely lost it, and I was just weeping. This 20-year-old kid, people probably thought I was afraid to go to college or something, he's just crying over on that bench. And I didn't realize, missionaries call it reverse culture shock. Sometimes missionaries will come home, and they'll be walking through the supermarket, and there's just way too many choices, and they just have to leave. But when we encounter brokenness, it's so critical. And you know, I I, I have this theory. I don't think it's that the rich don't care about the poor. I think often the problem is that the rich just don't know the poor. Because there's something about relationships that causes us to be broken when things just aren't right. And it's not just rich and poor, it's rich for rich, it's poor for poor. There's something about knowing somebody that compels us to emotion and to put our hearts out there and to do something about it. That's why I'm so excited about about these next 10 initiatives, some of the missions projects that we have that Brad's been unfolding, because we know these people. We know these people at Folsom's Hope. Some of you volunteer with Sawa Kasavian and Folsom's Hope. Right here in our neighborhood. And, and, and I had the chance to, to go to Ethiopia a couple summers ago. One of our leaders here at Lakeside Church, uh, Jamie, who leads our college ministry, she just got back from Ethiopia. Some of you sponsor children in the Abaya district in Ethiopia, some 200 Lakeside families. And we know Mary Beth. 
She's a lakesider who, who was impacted and transformed by the power of God, and she's gone on mission, and now she's in Malawi working with children with Way Ministries. I love that we know and we have this relationship with these projects that we're doing. And really, this, this whole uh, Next 10 initiative Uh, And we're calling it Unleashing Generosity to Change Our World. It's causing us to ask some critical questions about life. Like, why should children and their parents go without some of the basic human needs in life? Whether they're in Folsom, Ethiopia, Malawi, or anywhere. Nehemiah knew these people. And he was compelled to do something about it. He was overwhelmed. And you know, it's easy in, in our day and age. I understand what it's like. We kind of insulate ourselves, right? And, and it's easy to be desensitized. You know, before the internet, um, I just didn't know a, a, as much as I know now. It's, it's hard to ignore the problem. But the flip side of that is that we see pictures so often. We get information so much that it's easy just to be, it, it kind of becomes white noise to us. And so we have to ask and back up and engage these things with our, with our hearts. The next 10 is causing us to ask questions like, what does it mean to be the church? Or what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus for me in my oikos, in that extended household, those 8 to 15 people that God has sovereignly placed us in relationship with? What does it look like to follow Jesus there, right where we are? You still in chapter 6? We're, we're going to get there, I, I promise you, but I, but I want to walk you through some more of this. In chapter 2, we find Nehemiah putting his faith into action because it doesn't stop with just prayer. Prayer will move us, or it should move us, into action. And he actually takes an incredible risk. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king, and that was a high-ranking official. And he goes in, and he asks the king a question, which was a risky thing to do. If you're familiar with the story of Genesis and the story of Joseph, he, he's in a dungeon and he meets the cupbearer and the baker for the king, and one of them gets put to death. If you displeased the king, he didn't, he didn't need to have a reason. He could just put you to death right away. And Nehemiah is going to go to the king of Persia, and he's going to say, hey, you know this country that you're occupying? You know this country that was destroyed and you've taken us over? We want to rebuild our wall, which was a military act. This is a huge ask. And so Nehemiah prays to God, and he goes in, and he goes in with this request, but he also had a plan. Nehemiah had thought about this. He had taken time. Nehemiah is actually a phenomenal study on leadership. If you're into leadership, if you're an aspiring leader, or if you were a leader anywhere, and we believe really everybody's a leader somewhere, everybody has influence somewhere, Nehemiah is a great book to study. I I was rereading a book this week called Hand Me Another Brick by Charles Swindoll. Swindoll, he's this old preacher. We used to call him the Sermonator because he just would bring it all the time when I was back in college. And it's a great study. In fact, if you're into leadership or if you're a lakeside leader, we want you to come tomorrow night to a lakeside leadership event. I mean, this is critical for us. We're going to gather, and we are going to worship God together. We are going to celebrate what God is up to at Lakeside Church, and we are going to make a huge ask 
And you know that. You know that that's coming. And we just want eyes wide open. Hey, we want you to be at this leadership event. And so go on to the website, register for that. Let us know you're coming. We are excited about what God is up to. We move into chapter 3 and the work begins. And then chapter 4, wouldn't you know it, something great is happening and opposition begins to show up in full force. In verse, or in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, When Sanballat, which is a rather strange and unfortunate name, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and, in, and of the army of Samaria, Samaria was sort of this quasi-enemy of Israel, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, the Ammonites were fierce enemies of the Jews, who was at his side said, What are they building? I mean, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their walls of stone. You know, and it's funny, when I read things like this, and I know I'm a pastor, but these guys are a couple of jerks. I mean, I just have to, these guys, what in the Harry Carey do they think that they're doing? Anyway, I don't get people like this, but it always seems that when good people do good things, that there are other people that show up, and they just heap abuse. They challenge. There's opposition. And sometimes... Radical evil shows up. Evil and radical evil. I had the chance to be with our ministry leaders on Thursday. We had an all-day meeting around this huge conference table. And as we kicked off the meeting, I, I, I was sharing with our staff that, you know, Lakeside has this vision, this next 10 vision. And it's becoming clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer. And we are climbing this mountain together. I cannot tell you how sweet it is to have the sense of unity that we have on staff right now. And we have our challenges, all of us. And we're, we're getting healthier and healthier. And it's a sweet time to be on the staff at Lakeside Church. But I was sharing with them that as we do this, we are gonna, we're going to get challenged in this stuff. Some of our challenge is going to be from the spiritual realm. We have an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy us, who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. In fact, he wants to sift us like wheat, just like he asked Jesus to sift Peter like wheat. But Jesus said, take heart, Peter, because I have prayed for you. Oh, there would be huge challenge And so that's why we need courageous leadership. Nehemiah, he was a courageous leader. He took personal risk, and his life was comfortable, and he leaves it to go back to Jerusalem, to a dangerous place where there's armies and there's people pressing in. And he says, I'm going to stand here with the people of God, and I'm going to rebuild this wall. Down in verse 6 of chapter 4, it says, We rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. So they're halfway done. It says, For the people worked with all their heart. I have a question for you this morning. What would it look like if Lakeside, as one people, as one church, together, 
worked on something with all of our heart. If we were together, climbing up a mountain together, what would it look like as a church to do something with all of our hearts? You know, when I, when I think about our hearts in this region, in Folsom, in the surrounding towns around Folsom, one of the things that I think captures our hearts unlike anything else is our kids. Our kids, they capture our hearts. We love them. We sacrifice for them. We plan for them. We pray for them. We hope for them. We, we do all sorts of things for our kids, and it's all out of this heart of love for them. And at Lakeside Church, we have always been about the next generation. It's one of the reasons why I first came to Lakeside Church as I began some dialogue with Brad almost six years ago is that I knew this church cared about the next generation. Brad's talked about, uh, you know, the church is only one generation away from extinction, right? And he's not talking about the capital C church because the kingdom of God will move forward and the gates of hell, Jesus said, will not be able to stop it. But I was a part of a church that closed its doors. It lasted a little bit less than a generation. And we're a big church, so it might take a couple generations. But we basically sign our death certificate ahead of time if we don't invest in the next generation. Lakeside has always had a heart for the future of the church and the future leaders of the church. And one of the things that I am so excited about when it comes to the next 10 initiatives is this piece of it that we're calling protege. Protege. A protege essentially is a person who's guided and supported by an older, wiser person with more experience. You see, the, the missions projects cause us to ask questions like justice and responsibility. Protege asks us to ask questions about legacy. What are we going to leave behind? How will this generation be remembered? And essentially, the heart of the Protege uh, program is all about love. It's about love for the next generation. And really, there's, there's three things that kind of encompass Protege. One is cultivation, one's coaching, and one is care. We want to see young leaders cultivate. In fact, we want to lead them and mentor them to cultivate a sustainable life of godly leadership. You know how rare that is? To somebody, for somebody to have a have godly leadership that's sustained over a lifetime. So many leaders burn out. So many leaders get discouraged. So many leaders get off track. We want to uh, bring these young leaders under our, our wing and teach them the art of self-leadership, the art of being together as a team in leadership and working through the difficult things that they will face. Another thing that we want to do is we want to coach them. We want to coach them in practical ministry experience. Because it's one thing to learn from a book, right? But it's another thing to have real people with real problems, complex problems, right in front of you. And to have to work through the messiness of life. It's kind of like when, when, you know, when I do weddings, it's, it's fun to do the premarital counseling. And you're with this couple, and they're, especially if they're young, they're all bright-eyed. And, oh, man, it's going to be so great to be married. And I'm like, do you know how brutal it is to be married, all right, and to work this out and to do it? It's work, man. And, uh, and they'll figure it out. They get into it, and then they come back and want to talk to you later. And it's great, man, because we need each other, right? We want to coach these young leaders in real-life experience. And then we want to care for them. Quite frankly, we want to care for them like Jesus cared for his disciples. We want to love them. We want to watch out for them. 
Essentially, we want to do for them what Paul did for his protege, Timothy. Paul found Timothy. He was a young man, and um, they got together. Paul discipled him, and they traveled together for some time. Paul always had this band of younger leaders that that was around him. And then later on, Timothy became a pastor. When you read the book of Ephesians, you're reading the letter that was written to Timothy's church. And then Paul's an older man, and Timothy, you know, he's kind of, you know, a little bit older as well, but he's still uh, a younger man to Paul, and Paul writes him these letters when Paul's near dying. And then the very last letter that Paul writes to him in 2 Timothy 2.2, he says, My son, that's how, that's how their relationship was, my son, throw yourself into this work for Christ. Pass on what you have heard from me to reliable leaders who are competent to teach others. Pass it on. And that's what God's asking us to do. Essentially, uh, Paul was saying to Timothy, make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples, and so on. The call is so great for us, Lakeside. I am, I am very, very thankful that when I was a young intern and when I was a young full-time pastor, kind of my first few weeks, first year in ministry, that there were some mentors that I had. I needed them in huge ways. I remember one, one day, it was very early on, I was a brand new youth pastor. I think I had been on the job for a week or two. And, um, and things weren't kind of going the way that I thought they were, and I was a little bit discouraged. And I really didn't know what to do. I was sitting in my office. I was sharing this with my brother a couple weeks ago, and we were just laughing about it. I, I was sitting in my office, and I I'm going, I don't know what to do. And so I thought, well, I better pray. And so I went down to the sanctuary, and we had pews in this church. And I went down there, and I was just praying. And I think I was so discouraged because I just fell asleep and took a nap, you know. And I was just laying there. And I, but I was glad because I was a part of a team. And as that year went on, this group of leaders came around me. And it was mutually beneficial. And we started to meet early in the morning uh, on Thursday mornings. And we called it our garden time. They were my garden friends, just like Jesus went to the garden. And he took some of his closest friends with them. And we met together for a number of years. I am so grateful that there were people that poured in to my life. It's what we want to do. What would it look like to raise up over the next 10 years a hundred young men and women that could be leaders in God's church in Lakeside and out into the world. I think it would be phenomenal. Still in chapter 6? All right, we're, we're really close now. Okay, I promise, we're really close. It goes, there's, there's more kind of uh, courageous leadership by Nehemiah. There's more opposition. In chapter 5, Nehemiah, uh, Nehemiah had to deal with some internal conflict. There was some stuff going on. In fact, he had to face the injustices inside as well as outside. And as I mentioned, we've mentioned this a few times, it's a, it's, a, it's a neat time to be on staff at Lakeside Church, to have this sense of unity, at least for me. At least for me, it's, 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 it's more unified than I've experienced in my ministry life. And I'm excited about where God has us headed. Our vision is clear, and we're marching together. It's a really exciting time. And so Nehemiah confronts all that, and, and, and they begin to work together. And then finally we get to chapter 6. And so look down at the beginning of chapter 6, and these same guys come back with more challenge. It says, when word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not 
set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project, and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message. Each time I gave them the same answer. Nehemiah will not be deterred from the mission that God has him on. He is laser-focused. He says, I am carrying on a great project, and I cannot go down. That's what we're about right now with the Next 10 Initiative. We believe that God is doing something great among us right now in this season at Lakeside. And we will not be distracted. And so we are going together on this. We simply believe that the mountain that we're climbing together is worth it. And actually... It's possible. The impossible is actually possible. I'm Mark Vincenzini, and this is Crystal Vincenzini, my wife, and we've been at Lakeside for about 20 years. My name is Sawa Kasabian, and I'm the founder of Folsom's Hope. My name is Alex Mills. I'm a freshman here at Azusa Pacific University studying music and worship. I'm a CFO, and I've been a CFO for about 20 years now, and I've been a CPA for about 30 years, so I've been working in finance and financial industries for about 30 years. Outside of uh, running Folsom's Hope, (laughs) I am a mom and a wife, and just like most other families here in Folsom, we really... We love living here. We love being engaged with our kids. Lakeside is my home church. I have grown up in Lakeside since the age of nine years old, and now I'm pursuing my dream of hopefully becoming a worship pastor here at Azusa Pacific. I think for us, um, debt reduction and, I guess, prudent financial management is sort of built into my background, and and thankfully we were um, both part of families that uh, taught Uh, delayed gratification when it came to funding things that we wanted or needed to uh, to the point where you know you save up for what you buy and you don't incur debt if you don't need to and certainly if you have debt uh, you make it a priority to pay it down to to free up resources for other things and I think too it's important to me biblically just how God speaks about um, debt and being um, a slave to um, another master other than himself and so therefore it's very important for me personally to um, live within my means. Over half of Folsom's poverty lives about a mile radius around Theodore Judah Elementary School and Blanche Sprint sits less than a mile from here. So this whole area really is concentrated with uh, people living at or below the poverty line and once I was obedient in bringing my children here God really just again showed me the need and opened my eyes to what it was, why these children were struggling. And it had nothing to do with whether or not they were academically capable. It had everything to do with the fact that they were hungry or neglected or um, 
not showered or not returning their homework. There were so many pieces other than the academic piece that were going on for these kids. And so once I saw that, I then started to ask God, what does that look like? How can, how can this need be met? So as a family, we are very excited about the Next 10 campaign. The campaign has three major components. One of them is ministry freedom. Ministry freedom involves debt reduction. In some respects, debt is a launch pad, a platform to go out and take risk and, and build something, acquire something, to achieve something bigger. And, and that's how I kind of look at what Lakeside did in the early days, was to be able to provide uh, a means to build the community, the church body in Folsom to where it is today and, and as time goes on, shedding that debt from your balance sheet, whether you're a church or an operating business, is just a smart thing to do. Not only does that continue to free up the financial resources that are coming into the, the business or the church uh, for other more important things, it just relieves that drain and that expense on, on any operating business. So part of what uh, you as Lakesiders are going to be able to contribute to is uh, called Global Impact, and that's our missions arm of this uh, Next 10 campaign. And that will include the water um, initiative at Ethi in Ethiopia for World Vision and the Malawi Preschool Project, which I'm also personally very passionate about, <laughs> and, uh, and then Folsom's Hope right here in Folsom. The third part of the Next 10 campaign is the Protégé program, which is the program that I personally am most excited about. Through this program, Lakeside will be bringing in young leaders from all around the world to come and learn from people here at Lakeside. All other ministries at Lakeside, all other programs, and even the other two Next 10 programs uh, that could be funded by this campaign, um, all of that gets overshadowed by the, the constant drain on the resources that go out to debt service every month, month after month. Shedding those chains, shedding that debt is, is like letting the bird fly. And, and with the resources that are freed up by uh, eliminating debt payments and interest payments that can be reinvested into uh, staffing and, and resources into the, into the Lakeside Ministries, it's, it's exciting and amazing what can come from that. I firsthand have actually seen how we really have so many resources here, not just within our church, but within our community. And we're just thinking about how our resources could actually come together to really provide a way to heal a need and to bring resources to areas in our community that really do need that resourcing is exciting to me. I don't think there's a better way to equip our leaders rather than give them the experience of actually being in ministry, of working next to the best pastors and leaders we have in our church to better equip them so that they too would be impactful leaders in their communities. So the Next 10 campaign is certainly uh, may look like another fundraising campaign, but in reality, it's a faith-raising campaign. And the, the faith part comes from looking at what you can do to participate in this and looking beyond what may be obvious and dig a little deeper. 
in faith, stepping out in faith. Who really is our provider? What, whose resources really are all of these things that we're blessed with and they're God's? And so to really just be in prayer with Him in terms of what that looks like for you individually or as a family. When you're praying about it and God gives you a number and you're just like, oh my goodness, there's no way we can do this. God can, and He can do it through you. So if God is putting this on your heart, whatever that number might be, He will provide. He can provide exactly what is needed, and I just trust the Lord in that, and I've seen Him work through Lakeside many, many times, and um, has always been there to provide for exactly what we need. So I hope you will all join me. Join me. Join Join us. In unleashing generosity. To change our world. Lakeside for a long time, and over the past several weeks, as Brad has shared some of the stories and the history, uh, you, you know what it's like. You lived those stories. You've been here for the ups, and you've been here for the downs. When I, when I go out into the living room and I look at that timeline, some of those photos we have of the past, I, I wish I could have been a part of that. And those of us that have come later are thankful for the faith of those that have gone before us here at Lakeside Church. But I'm excited to be here now to see what God is up to. I believe the impossible is possible with the power of God working in our lives. And I think we'll be left with one great thing to do, and that is just to celebrate and give glory to God. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, you are exceedingly good. And Lord, as we look around the world today, so many things have gone wrong. And so God, we pray to you, the God who is good, to set things right in our hearts, in us, as as people. And then in this world that we're in, that you would use us to be a light that is shining bright, a city on a hill that you would use us to be the salt of the earth, to be Jesus wherever we're at. Thanks for this opportunity. Thanks for this privilege to be a part of this, Lord. And uh, we look forward to being able to uh, lift the name of Jesus high. And it's in that name that we pray this morning. Amen.